Welcome to Sound Off, WKNC's daytime music podcast, where we discuss some of the latest music news and do one in-depth album review. I'm Michael Jones, also known as DJ Ones. And again, alongside me, I have... Sarah Hager, a.k.a. Serenade. And Kirsten Southwell, otherwise known as DJ Vice. Now this week, we will be reviewing Dr. Dog's latest album entitled Shame, Shame. But before we do that, let's get right into the news. Okay, one of the first articles that really stood out from the pack was uh, M.I.A. came out against Twilight after she was asked to record a song for the last movie. Um, her, her boss at Interscope, whose name is Jimmy Levine, he, he steps into, or he steps in much to the uh, pleasure of M.I.A. and tells him pretty much to F off the people from the Twilight soundtrack. Uh, and then in the same article... She comes out against Lady Gaga, and she calls her a mimic, pretty much, and said none of her music uh, is reflective of how weird she wants to be. And that's like a direct quote right there. That's just that's just <laughs> the facts. Hmm. What did you guys take away from this? Um, well, I actually did some research on Lady Gaga because I'm not super familiar with her life. And uh, on the mimic note, she got her name from a Queen song. She got Boys, Boys, Boys from a Motley Crue song. And most of her other songs are based on older ones. So I got a pretty big kick out of that. Um, I think that as far as, the, okay, the Twilight thing, you know, there's the people that really follow Twilight, and, but everyone else doesn't. And we all know that Twilight's lame. So we're like, ah, that's funny that she said that. Um, I think as far as the Lady Gaga statement, I don't know. I she wasn't saying anything that I didn't already think before. So just because MIA says it doesn't mean that I didn't already think it MIA. But what do you think this will do to fans <laughs> of both MIA and Lady Gaga? Uh, I wonder if there are that many. There, that... there have to be a handful of people that like both. It's the same one. Mm, they overlap genres some. Like they played on the same radio stations most of the time. That's a good point. Very true. Now, one thing that I also thought is this is really going to split ends or it's going to polarize the people who hate the more mainstream uh, bands more. And it's really going to rally a base behind MIA since she was just so blunt throughout the entire article. They're both. Oh, I can't. I don't know. Can we say that? I don't like they're both really notoriously evil in interviews. Like if you've ever seen a Lady Gaga interview, she is just awful. But it's cool to be weird in interviews and upfront and mean. Well, it's not even just weird. <laughs> it's not even weird. I remember seeing this interview. Um, there, it was like a VH1, like Lady Gaga thing. And, you know, my friends and I watched it for humor. Or, you know, that's what I'll claim. But um, You don't have to be embarrassed. <laughs> just like how we watched Twilight to make fun of it. Uh, there was this quote she said that she was looking at art and... You know, just looking at Picasso, and then she went to New York City to this uh, hotel, and there was a piece of artwork, and she just started crying because she said, why couldn't this be more like, I think, Picasso? It, it was just the dumbest thing I've ever said, or, like, I've ever heard in an interview. It was unreal. I, like, turned to my friends. I was like, why? Why are we watching this? So I'm, what I'm saying is they're both terrible people. And, <laughs> well, I, I disagree on that. No, like, I think they're both very accomplished, driven people but I don't like the way they execute their work. Like, both of them are very accomplished in what they do, such as, like, MIA has a million and one different projects. What are you doing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> MIA has a million and one different projects. Like, she's a graphic designer, 
among other things. And she's still doing the music thing. And Lady Gaga like taught herself piano before she was five. So it's not like they don't work hard. They're just not tickling my fancy, I guess. I like the f- the face that Kirsten made <laughs> when you brought up the fact that MIA is tickled with design. <laughs> it seemed to strike a chord. <laughs> Coming to the core. I haven't seen MIA's design, but uh, I'm, stri- I'm slightly intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look it up afterwards. Yeah, I know I will. I mean, there, but... I don't know. There's a big MIA following and there's a big Lady Gaga following and there's also a big counter following thinking both of them suck. So whatever the opinion is, it's already been had. And Twilight sucks too. Oh, burn. (laughs) Twilight burn. But let's talk about that last Twilight album a little bit since this was the one that the song was going to be on. There are a ton of of artists that WKNC plays regularly. Really? I like the album. Really? Lots. Bonnie Vare makes an appearance. Uh, Seawolf is also on the album. Uh, Tom York did work with the album. It's yeah. If you look it up, there are a lot of big names that are on that album. Please, please do, Sarah. No, what does that mean? If I, you think you have to the, compensate for the movie. Well, if you want to talk about the album a little bit, I, I've spoken to certain um, fans of of the Twilight series, and they hated it with they a have passion when it came out. They do. There are so many great artists on that album. Wait, it's I just I just. This caught my eye. Paramore, The Black Ghost, Linkin Park, and Mute Math. That and Collective Soul made a and another Paramore song. Okay, see some of those make sense to me. Paramore and a Linkin That's Park. That's striking track. the demographic. Yeah, it really, absolutely. Is. I I wonder what their intent is. I wonder what the artists are thinking. I wonder if they think that their music complements this movie, or if it's just a stride. I mean. You can't beat the following that Twilight has seemed to accomplish. Why not have a hit song on this, I'm sure, hit soundtrack? I, if we're going to mm-hmm. talk about the Twilight, uh, it's just a, a bit of an aside or uh, to diverge a little bit from the main MIA not being on that album and choosing not to. There was a band, very small band, really good, called Band of Skulls. And I went to a concert where they were the opening act. They were opening for Metric. And on the ticket, it said Band of Skulls um, on the Twilight soundtrack. So that was the way that they could promote themselves uh, and make themselves easily recognizable. And for people to go out and access some of their music, they said, on the Twilight soundtrack, we had a single. And it's, it's, I like it a lot. I like the single that they put out for the Twilight soundtrack. Because they're more of a traditional rock and roll British band. So it's Weird. an yeah th- that that soundtrack is definitely an interesting interesting collection. But what if MIA would have been on it? How would that have changed things around? You, you know, I think looking at this lineup, knowing what I do at this exact moment, MIA I think made a very smart decision because yeah. I I really kind of looked down on this decision to be part of the. I mean, it, it doesn't match. I guess I would have to hear the songs, but something looks very wrong about this i mean some of them are pretty good i have the soundtrack on my computer but i haven't seen the movie but when you think about it twilight is a brand and they're using this brand to promote themselves through it that's very true very true i don't know this is a really interesting really interesting development i mean they're they're clearly striving for more mainstream audiences but it's just weird (laughs) it is weird it is ew to put it your way some soundtracks are absolutely monumental i mean when you think that, I know half the people that own music 
own the Garden State soundtrack. Fact. Fact. And yeah, you do. I do. I yeah, own, the I own it soundtrack. too. It was like some of the first, I mean, at the time it came out, I was pretty young. So that was some of the first great indie music I was exposed to. So I see the potential of an album soundtrack, but I this makes no sense to me. I, it, it, Rob Patterson, is that a song or is that just no, like a little um, speech? No, that's a song. He actually wanted to be a musician, but I guess the acting thing took off first or something. Yeah. All um, right. I think that is going to be an excellent, excellent segue into our next article. <laughs> ah. Talking about you know, Twilight, uh, the soundtrack, MIA, dissing it so much. Dissing. I haven't used that word in a long time. But <laughs> chica, pretty chica. much throwing it away. Throwing it away. And trashing on Lady Gaga at the same time. But now you speak of Rob Pattinson. Um, and there's a, a big, big speculated rumor that's going on that Rob Pattinson will actually play Kurt Cobain in the biopic that is uh, suspected to be underway. Now, nothing is said in stone just yet. Uh, in the rumor, one of the points was that the working title is called All Apologies. Courtney Love is having a pretty hands-on role with it. And she and Pattinson have been talking um, back and forth. And also... One of the things that came along with the rumor was that David Fincher, who's more known for his work with Fight Club and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, is going to have an active role as well. Now, what would you guys think if a uh, Kurt Cobain biopic came out and Rob Pattinson was Kurt Cobain? From an acting standpoint, we can't judge him because he has one terrible, awesome lead role. No, he was Cedric Diggory. And Harry Potter. I'm a Potterhead. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Wait. I don't, I don't know. He's the one know. who was in it for like one, maybe two movies, then died. Oh, um, I have no but idea. I spoiler alert. It. Spoiler alert. <laughs> for a non-movie podcast. Spoiler alert. Well, Duh. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't judge maybe someone like Miley Cyrus, whose career is all based around this and all the stuff she's brought out has been terrible. But from an acting standpoint, who knows? There could be more to his career than sappy Mormon-based book-to-films. So he could do really well. Do they even look alike? I don't even a know. A little bit. That's up for debate as there's, well. There's one picture where they do. I'll see if I can find it. But uh, they have the same-ish face shape. And I know for a fact that Rob Pattinson doesn't shower that much, and he's kind of a stoner. You know that, so that for a fact that he well. doesn't shower that much? Yeah, um, one of my know. friends... That's kind of stalker Ex-boyfriend <laughs> dated Bella, who dated him. I guess that's, that's I'm, in the loop. I'm in the loop. That much. How does that conversation <laughs> come around? Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, DJ Ones. Well, what do you think about it? I'm just interested in... If he gets the part, and it is set in stone that Rob Pattinson will play Kirk Cobain, will he be performing the songs himself, much like... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin Phoenix, Wa yes. Joaquin Phoenix. Much, much like Joaquin Phoenix. No. Is that his name? Yes. Oh. Much like Joaquin Phoenix in Walk the Line. Oh, Walk... Okay, sorry. And Kirsten Stewart and Dakota Fanning in The Runaways, who actually performed their own music, or re-recorded those songs, basically... Okay. Wait, we got a picture. Oh, looking at a picture right now. Kurt Cobain, Rob Pattinson. <laughs> they save both that, look startled. Save that picture. We'll, we'll, we'll tweet it out later today. It's the same facial expression. 
I can see it. Who knows? I mean, we can't judge him, even though he's got this Twilight past behind him, and know for sure that people who worship his stone-cold, glittery vampire (laughs) body will certainly try and come out to see this movie to see him play this role, but who knows? He could do a really good job. I think another thing that's really going to be important here is how are the hardcore grunge Nirvana fans going to come out if a Rob Pattinson is attached to the project? Or if even they're, I mean, do they even agree on making the movie in the first place? These things are controversial. That's true. That's also another point. But I mean, Courtney Love has kind of been in this, she's been making the effort to get a biopic out. It's been several years in the works. She showed interest in one almost a decade ago. And I think this is something that they really wanted to get underway, but it's just a matter of finding the right people. And Rob Pattinson, I mean, he has that background, and I think that could alienate fans of Nirvana, especially those diehards. But would the Twilight fans be allowed to go to the theaters to see this movie? And would they be old on enough? The rating. I don't know if the Twilight fans would like it. Like, how are the they would because they'd want to see their vampire as a rocker. Every know. girl's dream. I don't know if that's a <laughs> if that's a big request among most Twilight fans. We'll have mm. to ask some. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't if you if you're a Twilight fan and you are interested in seeing Rob Pattinson playing Kurt Cobain in, I guess, working title All Apologies, email us. Sound off or t- tweet, at WKNC or tweet us up at uh, twitter.com <laughs> forward slash WKNC sound off. I'm getting used to this Twitter thing. Especially with all the fake names yeah. you, or the fake. The if, fake if you see any DJ One's rumors, those usually come from Serenade or I. So. And they're true. And if you think they're of any yourself, true. please tweet them to us. History themed, preferably. They're, they're not true. Word on the street is that they are. <sighs> There's some more words on the street. They're rewriting all the text. Watch out for the tweet. (laughs) All right. Next. All right. (laughs) Final final news story. Laura Marling, the the British folk darling that I am in love with. Although she always seems very sad and it's a shame. But regardless. You gonna be her little hero? Hero. DJ One. (laughs) DJ One. (laughs) Which but there's there's an article uh, this week in Enemy or last week where she comes out against music piracy, just blatantly says it's not the people who are downloading things illegally fault because the system's in place that would just naturally have people downloading music. And this seems to be a common trend. There seems to be a common shift in people who think that piracy isn't such a big deal. I mean, at first, it seems to happen with the bigger names that have had established records in the record labels in the past. Uh usually some weird breakup with their record label, go out by themselves and pretty much go, here's our content. We really don't care anymore. We've sold enough records to have enough money. But Laura Marling isn't in that stage just yet. She just released her second album, which is amazing, by the way. She released that two weeks ago, probably, at least in the U.S. two weeks ago. Really? Okay. It's been out in the in the U.K. For, for a couple more weeks, I should say. I don't know the exact time. But she's not at that level that Nirvana, or not Nirvana, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about Nirvana. But she's not at that level of your radio heads and your Nine Inch Nails to come out and just blatantly say, or to follow that trend, come out and blatantly say, we don't care what you do with our music anymore. And one thing that I started thinking about was, is this something that is happening based primarily off of people who are starting out really 
grassroots levels, especially some of the local artists or some of the smaller artists will just give away their music at the very beginning for free. Right. Do you think this could be a repercussion of starting small and just working your way up? Definitely. Um, she actually got her start on My- MySpace and that and Pure Volume, Last FM, among others, like have all been able to promote the bands like without that outside influence. And it's like, if I give you my song for free, you'll come to my show and spend $15, possibly buy a t-shirt, another $15. So they're, the artists themselves, I, I feel like are making more revenue off of doing it that way. I don't know how most musicians feel about this. I know talking to some of the smaller bands, you know, they're always willing to give out their music, put it on MySpace. But as an artist, like as, as a person who does design, if, if everyone put my design on a T-shirt and I wasn't getting any money for it, I'd, I'd be pretty upset. So I think the listeners are starting to be more responsive to the fact that, yes, you can download music, but if you really support this artist, if you really support them, you'll go out and buy the album. And uh, that's one thought. The other one is there are some artists you cannot, you, you can't find their music on the internet. My, uh, I have some friends that have publicly voiced me, like, if you find any Doc Watson CDs, buy it because you just can't download Doc Watson music. You can't even pay to download Doc Watson music. So I don't know how he does that. He's old, probably figured it out, but I, there's lots of different stances the means, you can take on this. The means for purchasing albums have definitely changed over the past couple of years in particular. Um, Gray, the uh, uh, poop, who am I? Danger Mouse, who released the Gray album, which is a mix above the Beatles' uh, white album and Jay-Z's black album. He didn't <laughs> get written consent to mix those up from both artists. And what it did was it got circulated on torrent sites and he knew this, but he also knew he didn't have the rights to sell it as a CD. So instead what he does is he sells pretty much a book of artwork and a blank CD disc alongside of it. So you go burn it? No, I mean, that's not what he said, but (laughs) the first thing that you said was so you could go burn it. That was kind of implied, but wow, that's genius. <laughs> the the means for making money off of music are changing, and it's interesting to see how artists are changing as well with that. Now, one thing to take in mind is uh, Laura Marling. She's pretty much coming in with from a British perspective. She's British herself, and they have more a, a three strike policy in England. So if you get caught three times pirating music, you're screwed basically you're kind of cut off from internet access what they it's, take away your internet they they restrict what you do wow i mean it's it's a much different system and it, a lot of people uh and it, a lot of people hate it pretty much and this is a growing system this kind of three strikes thing throughout europe and you see the rise of uh was it the pirate party in sweden what's and that there were i want to go i think it was sweden <laughs> it, it, it was in Northern England. A party had grown saying, vote for us. We are for uh, piracy and completely anti uh, people interfering with what is on the internet. They were pro net neutrality to a whole nother level. But that's just shows another way that everything seems to be evolving at the moment. Do you feel like people would prefer to do it the American way where we just pay thousands of dollars if we get caught? 
I don't I don't think no, I don't think they could like that at all. <laughs> yeah, weren't yeah. you just saying that one of your friends' families just got sued? Yeah, um back when Napster was like the thing to do, her family actually got sued by a coalition of record companies for three thousand dollars. Three thousand. That's not that bad. I've heard a lot more. They had like songs circled, um they had ten pages of songs that they had downloaded and it was the actual sharing of them that was illegal. So no, anyone that uploaded look. songs from her, it showed up on her computer. The record companies were notified, and she was prosecuted. Wow. You know, I, I've heard things similar. There's some campuses that have caps over their students so that these companies can't access their files, but not our campus. Not <laughs> our, campus. our campus State. is the opposite. Our campus gives away the names very openly, we have more people caught on our camp. I think it's one of the top in the country. That's We're, one of the things they tell you as soon as you get here. Yeah. Don't download music. Don't download music or illegally. Movies. I, I or movies. Or anything. Anything illegally. If you're if you're at least second guessing yourself, don't do it because the repercussions are harsh. But Especially for college I, students. Especially for college students. I think you get a warning here, actually, as far as music goes. Well, I have a friend... Um, he was telling me a story. I, I hope I'm getting it right. He was telling me a story. His his roommate was a lot older. He was like 21, living in a dorm, and he had downloaded uh, Batman's The Dark Knight. Like I don't, I don't know. I think it was even before it was released. It was some mega leak, and people were showing up at his door, like telling him to get rid of it before. Wow. I don't even think he had watched it yet. So the I mean, it, then that's just an example of how our campus approaches it versus other campuses. I know specifically um, uh, Boston University, they don't give out their names. They protect their students. So I think everyone's drawn, and there's arguments on both sides, but when you get down to it, whether the, musician, uh, the musicians think so or not, it, it is stealing to an extent. It's free, free music. Yeah, I, th I think it's really a matter of less mainstream artists realizing what's out there, what they can do about it, and then just changing their ways, uh, either releasing it earlier, which has happened a couple times. Yeah, 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 it was released. It's Blitz before it's expected release date because it got leaked online weeks ahead. Right. So people are really just adjusting what they do and I guess their whole demeanor about piracy and music. But as a musician, if your music got leaked and it was like this big internet hit, wouldn't you feel good that people were excited for your music and they couldn't wait till that release date? I think that's a matter of perspectives. If you are a bigger artist, I could see you being very upset that your music gets released way right. ahead of time. But if you're a smaller artist, there's probably not as much of a problem with it if they don't just embrace it altogether. And, you know, this is a conversation about what's it really about. And, yes, money is very important. And just some of these bigger artists, you express that they already have enough money. But these smaller art the smaller artists... I think are more concerned with the publicity they're getting. I mean, to get to that level eventually, but I think artists like her and maybe if some of the smaller artists were more embracing, like if Yesayer released a free album on the internet, I mean, people would go wild. People would share it with everybody, put their links in their Facebook statuses. I think it would get a lot more publicity. So maybe these bands that are kind of embracing this lifestyle will in the end come out a little higher up. And you'll see it as a positive publicity with right. that mm -hmm. because you'll get this base saying, ah, okay, these artists don't, aren't so materialistic. They are letting their music be available just so people can enjoy it without them having to pay for it. So let's invest in them and 
this is brilliant on Laura Marling's part to come out with a statement because, and, and especially at the time of the release of her second album, because <laughs> people who liked the first, liked maybe some old No and the Whale, are going to come out and they're going to actively pursue Laura Marling, be it through... Illegal means or not. <laughs> exactly. Going to shows, buying shirts, whatever it may be. And because I think listeners do experience some guilt about downloading and yeah, okay, Sarah. Doesn't. I don't. <laughs> I I sometimes feel that way about some artists I really like that I know aren't doing that. You know, not doing as well as they probably could. I could spare ten dollars to really enjoy this music. Never know. But if I like a band and I download their CD and I like them, I'm gonna share them with you. And then it's like the whole pay it forward kind of thing. In in my opinion, if I was a band, regardless of my success, I would enjoy people to enjoy the art that I made versus paying to, I don't know. The Shepherd Fairy approach, guerrilla artist. But at, but at the uh, end of the day, I guess I could say, Laura Marling is coming out golden after this article's release. She's really going to be able to rally a much bigger fan base just because she's come out and explicitly said, meh, I don't do what you want. I'm just here to make the music and, and have right. fun. And ultimately, that's what it should be about. And I wish more artists had that viewpoint on it. They also have to eat. That's, <laughs> no, that's they true. don't. <laughs> All right. We can feed them at their shows. All right. And uh, <laughs> with that, let's move on to our album review. Uh, you guys, again, are listening to Sound Off, WKNC's daytime music podcast, where we discuss some of the latest music news and do one in-depth album review this week we are doing dr dog's shame shame now this is uh let's see this is the first release on anti-records for dr dog this is the sixth album that dr dog has released first impressions i am a new dr dog fan i've been kirsten actually showed me them before and i haven't heard a full-length cd but i've loved what i've heard and i love this album it it kept me interested the entire time. Um, I, like I said, gave Sarah the album. I'm a fate. The earlier album by Dr. Dog was one of those albums where you, where you, you have an album and you have a song and you like listen to that one song on repeat for like five days. And then you listen to the album through and you pick another song that you listen and it's, it's infectious. Their, their previous album. And, I think my love for that album might have influenced my disappointment in this album. It, it was so much better, Fate was. And this, I was really disappointed for the first half. The second half really picked up for me, but still, it's it's no Fate. Songwriting, musical quality, it does not hold up to the future album, but it is true to their sound. Uh, it's not as good as Fate, but you would still recognize that that's Dr. Dog, and overall, it's not bad music. The really corny pun that I thought of to describe how much I love this album was, what did he get his PhD in? Musical awesomeness? <laughs> wait, wait, where was the... Oh, Dr. Dog. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what you, what you were getting at with the dog. Doctor was where the pun was. Yes. You're so clever, uh, DJ uh, Ones. I, I Did you plan that out? Oh, yeah, I thought You wrote it. that down. <laughs> I, thought, I, I, I saw you eh, read it. Eh. <laughs> anyway. All right, so you really liked it. I did. Now, don't send angry hate mail to me 
Never listened to a Dr. Dollar album before this. Ah, don't hit me. So they're her mic this. at you. This is the first Dr. Dog album that I had ever oh, heard. Oh, you haven't. Yeah, I haven't heard any other Dr. Dog albums before this. Okay. And this was just a... You asked last week in the first episode what a good album was. This is it. This is the definition of a good album for me. You need to listen to Fate. You you have to listen to that album. What 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 this album does that works so well is... They're able to to keep a common sound throughout, change up paces, change up the way that they layer vocals, the way that they just play the songs in general, in a way where it flows into each other very nicely, but they each have their distinctive features about them. And none of them in particular I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm really surprised that you didn't like. Did you not like this, or are you just a bit let down that you didn't like it as much as the first one? High standards, yeah, really high standards. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking that first album is phenomenal. Or is not is the that first the one album, that the fate. song that I like is on? Yeah, probably. It's what, the old days it. or one of those. I mean, that yeah. that album. I, I saw them in concert because of that album, and. Not only was that concert probably the best one I've seen just shy of David Byrne at Bonnaroo, but that album is uh, striking. So I guess I'm coming in with a very different perspective on like already respecting them and just wanting so much more than the first album. And I, th- I felt like more critique on my end. Wow, this is really backwards, isn't it? Usually I don't. I like it. DJ ones doesn't. It's you two, and then I'm the one yeah. that's so critical. And then I'm out here. Well, okay. If, I think, sorry, if I, we get to I, songwriting, one of the things that I thought was this this is solid songwriting. I mean, they do everything that you need to do to make a good rock song. I was, I felt like the album, the songwriting in general, was way more personal than before. And from their earlier songs, but not really in a good way. I, I didn't really like hearing them sing about girls, especially the song Later. And I was so That's excited. That's one of my favorites on it, actually. It's a great song. It's yeah. a great musically. I started hearing it and I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be wonderful. Notes were more, there's more. But then I started listening and the lyrics were... It never works. You say you'll call me later, and then you never, ever do. And it just sounded so immature to me. Just that whole song was like, I don't have time for you. I want to start a career. But it wasn't in their typical, beautiful writing. It was just very blunt, and it reminded me of a Avril Lavigne song. I was I was extremely disappointed with some of the songwriting. Uh, if. One of the things, I'll, I'll step back a little bit, is the co-front man, whose first name is Scott, and I can't read my own handwriting on his last name, um, he <laughs> said that this was a bit more hard-on-your-sleeve stuff. He openly came out and said, we wrote according to how we felt. Uh, another quote that he, he gave was that uh, Jackie Wants a Black Guy, that song, is uh, the most literal thing that he had ever written as an artist. Yeah. But I think they pull it off well because it's... The fact that it doesn't sound so cheesy and corny, and it it fits because the instruments and those psychedelic elements kind of uh, overshadow some mediocre hand—not handwriting, some mediocre songwriting. What do you think, Sarah? 
like the songwriting was lacking a little bit more than I like the modest mousy like make you think lyrics but I think that the rest of the songs like you were saying was enough to compensate and let the lyrics be a little more simpler because the rest of the the song tracks were really great like every instrument was different and unique and the simple lyrics could work with that I think one thing they do very well lyrically that not a lot of artists pull off is they create a little bit of a lyrical diversity in a song. Like they'll sing the same sounding line and you'll be like, oh, I heard that song before and they'll change like one word in it or something. Does that make sense? They have repeating (laughs) themes, but different lyrics. Uh, I like that specifically in one of these songs. I don't remember why. It was uh, Shadow People, which is their new single. And I did not think it was that great. I started it, but it wasn't my favorite. I think Mirror Mirror was my favorite. Really? The, really? I don't, I don't like the chorus on it, but the rest of the song was so great. <laughs> I, I was so... I, the more I'm talking about this, the more upset I'm getting. Because this, this <laughs> I'm telling you, fate, it does not hold a candle to that album. And I, I felt like Mirror Mirror was one of the worst songs on there. Specifically based on the songwriting. I'm like... literally when the chorus was mirror mirror on the wall i was like uh next yeah that that part that yeah the rest of the song's good (laughs) just for the record favorite song uh track five i believe what's that word all the time good that one was great that was was my favorite also it was like pink floyd meets bob dylan now now i love the phd (laughs) i love that you referenced older artists because one of the first things that i list that i thought uh the first time that i went through this album was this sounds a lot older than it actually is. Did did you mm-hmm. guys get any of that same feeling? And I think it's the way that they layer the vocals that do that and the fact that they don't incorporate so many synthesizer, electronic music. They, they're they heavy on pianos. Right. And it's great. Stick. It's so refreshing, in my opinion. And they do those more traditional uh, guitar riffs, guitar solos towards the ends of some of the songs, and those fit really well. And it's hard to fit a good guitar solo in a modern rock song, at, at least depending on who the artist is. Uh, I have a good example of the nostalgia feel would be that Shame Shame song. That's actually my favorite song. I lied. Oh, okay. Uh, the last song on the album. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of had that haunting feel to it. it was, that was really nice. And that was very much unlike the rest of the album and also unlike their other album I've heard, the one that I continue to worship. Uh, I thought, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of flat in comparison. So I'm the, I'm the Debbie Downer here. So for all the previous Dr. Dog, fan, dog fans, listen ahead with caution. That's mine. See, I wouldn't. <sighs> okay, as a fresh as a fresh listeners, as fresh listeners, this this is really awesome because you can really understand why I originally appreciate. The artist that is Dr. Dog. I, I usually described them as, I remember when I first heard it, I described it as like almost, I feel like their other album is a little bit more folky. Kind of reminded me of like Abit Brothers meets the Beatles mm-hmm. with the harmonies and the, and the like the soft levels. So I, I think overall, very, very talented band, but not their best album. I showed the album to my brother last night and that was the first band he compared them to was the Avent Brothers. Really? There's something I was like, really bizarre about key. it. I don't know why. Uh, nothing specific I think it might also be how raw both the vocalists are Mm -hmm. they have a very you can either really love or hate the sound of their vocals and I really like it there were maybe one song in particular where the 
the intro, you know, I, I was a little little hesitant over, but I fell in love with the song. I fell in love with almost every song on here. Really? Was it I Only Wear Blue? It's number seven. I wrote down that it had like a really slow intro, but... Or was it Unbearably Why? Because I think that one I didn't like that That's one. That's it. That's that was the, the one. one. I liked that one. That that was where I, my thoughts... Because at first I was going to cry. I thought this <laughs> album was so bad. I felt like the first three songs were ugh, bad. Oh my God. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> There's no way. Because this is one of the... This, this is arguably one of the best... This is one of the best albums that I've listened to this year. No. Oh my God. I've listened to a ton of albums this year. Wow. Upwards of 40, 50 albums. <laughs> Oh, man. And this is one of my favorites so far. And, you know, I've talked to a few other Dr. Dog fans. I've talked to a few other Dr. Dog fans, and a lot of them like it. And I just, I I listened to the album a few times completely through without critiquing it, without trying to pay attention to other songs. But it wasn't like one of those albums that I found myself going back to. Like, if I was working in class, it wasn't the first one that came to my mind. Like, I'm going to listen to that album. Yeah, I could see how there are some elements of it that could be somewhat forgettable for people who weren't real crazy about it the first time through mm-hmm. definitely saw that because there were some songs i struggled to go back to just because i didn't mm-hmm. like them as much as i liked other songs on right the album. and there there's features like that in their other album too I, there were songs that i i guess overlooked because i was dazzled by the other ones and then when i went back to them i really appreciated them a lot more but I really did dig the there were some psychedelic elements here and i thought like what dj was <laughs> I, oh, I'm asking uh, for examples. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> jerk. Yeah. Uh, it, most of it involved the way that they were able to kind of distort the vocals and the mm. way that they layered them. They did so in a way that I really enjoyed and that made it more distinctive instead of just your kind of typical rock song. Mm-hmm. On Shame Shame, they were using a slide guitar, which I love, 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 love. And um, the vocals were mimic- mimicking the slide guitar in part of it, and that was a really cool effect. Yeah, shame, shame. I'm sorry, I can't get over it. That that song was actually really beautiful. I think the gem on this album for sure. I'm still shocked. Gee, I wonder why. Like as much as I did. <laughs> this is so weird. Yeah. If if we, I'm I'm glad that we have that rule where we can't speak to each other. Uh, about the album yeah. before we're in here and reviewing it because I thought you would have loved it. You know, it's so funny because <laughs> I was the one that wanted to review it, remember? I was the one that, yes, please, let's, I want to hear the new Dr. Dog. That's right, you were the one that proposed it, actually. Yeah. Bummer City. Bummer on your It'll part. It'll grow on, on you, your part. Like. No, no. It might grow on me. It could. Hopefully. I just can't get over the initial, I'm telling you, okay, you guys just listen to the previous album. Listen to Fate, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Maybe next podcast. Maybe we'll tweet <laughs> about it. Fine. I don't know. Just yeah, humor me in that. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Now, what you guys are saying a lot too is is a comment on the artist, which I am in no way critiquing. I mean, I think they're a fantastic band. If you've never heard of Doctor Dog, if it's this album, it's the older album. Please listen to them. They're fantastic. But as as an album, I think. I was very disappointed. So, boo. And with that, let's get to some final thoughts. Sarah? All those old bands that you loved growing up, like Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, if you're, uh, there was an Elton John-esque part. It's all that, but it's new, and I think that's a really great, unique thing that's out right now. 
I think we'll end on a down point. I'll let you go last. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I also love this album. I really did. It's easily accessible for fans of rock music. It's simple to get into and you're not going to struggle from track to track because they're very enjoyable. And I think those that that like more traditional rock sounds are really going to dig this. Me. Bring it down. All right. Uh, I would say if you are a Dr. Dog fan, this might not meet your expectations and according to the last album. If you've never listened to Dr. Dog before, I would still encourage you to listen to this album. But if you really want the prime of their music as I've heard it, it would definitely be their last album, Fate. But as according to this album, I think I still would have bought it just because of how much I like the artists. But I, it would have been on the shelf pretty frequently, except for a few gems. It's And it definitely has some good songs towards the end of the album. Uh, I, I'm going to stick to Fate. And with that... And with that... <laughs> we're going to wrap up another episode of WKNC Sound Off. Once again, I'm Michael Jones, also known as the DJ ones that they The famous. Keep, the, I heard a rumor lately. I, I said it the other day on uh, the Americana show. The DJ ones actually stood on the Berlin Wall with <sighs> David strange. Hasselhoff. They have a picture. He's huge in, uh, in Germany. You can, you can catch me <laughs> Tuesdays, 11 to 1. As always, I'm joined with... Sarah Hager, also known as Serenade. I'm part of the post-rock blog, Sundays 6 to 8. And Kristen Southwell, I'm the staff graphic designer here, but also I DJ Mondays 5 to 7, and I'm also helping out with the Americana Show, Saturdays 10 to 12 a.m. And if you would like to suggest albums that we should review, Or if you think we're wrong. If you think we're wrong. Or if you're a Twilight fan and want to comment on that <laughs> earlier article. Yeah, I would really, I would really <laughs> like to get some feedback from the Twilight fans. Um... Albums that we should review, news articles that we should talk about. Email us, soundoff at wknc.org, or you can always tweet us up. We're on Twitter. We talk about Twitter a lot. It's fun. <laughs> Twitter. We are at WKNC Soundoff, all one big word. Next week, we are reviewing MGMT's Congratulations. The much... Anticipated. I think, I think that's gonna be, this is going to be a long episode next week. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? And with that, this one. and with that, DJ One knows. One knows. <laughs> You're not plural anyway. Are we sounding off? Are we going to keep this a theme? Are you going to try to yeah. keep doing Wait, that? I don't know. It's so clever. <laughs> it's so clever. <sighs> Let's sound off. We don't need. We don't need to sound off, but like that, we can turn the sound off. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying like DJ One Serenade, DJ Vice. I don't want to do that. No, no, no. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sounding off. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.